Well, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19 is what we'll look at this morning, our next section. And I want you to think about if in your life, you, if you're over five years old, probably, and most of us are in here, we have at some point taken a test. You've probably taken several tests throughout your life, tests in school, tests at a job, whatever. You, you have taken tests. You know what I mean by taking a test. Sometimes we don't like tests. They stress us out. We're worried. Are we going to succeed? Are we going to pass or fail? And even if we pass, how good did we pass? Well, I think about driving tests. That's a big one. You had to go take a test to get a driver's license. But the thing is, you could have said, I got the driver's manual. I've even watched videos about how to drive. I've spent hours studying how to drive. But pretend you've never gotten behind the wheel of a vehicle and, and driven, but you've studied about it, you've read about it, you've seen videos about it. You could say all you want, I know how to drive. But until you are literally tested in the vehicle, you, you really don't know how much you know until you have to prove it. That's the point of the test. I thought about when I was 14 in Arkansas, I'm sure it was the same in Missouri, but how it worked there, at 14 you could test, and if you passed your test to drive, you got a permit, a learner's permit. And at 14 I could drive in a vehicle as long as an adult was with me over the age of 18 or whatever. Well, my dad and I took a trip to New Orleans, remember I'm 14, and he took a path through Mississippi, and if you've ever done that, you know the roads just go on and on straight for nothing. So my dad in the passenger seat decided he could turn it over to me, and I drove from then on. And he said, let me know before you get to New Orleans. He took a nap. But I'm 14. This is before smartphones. We had the little Randy McNally roadmap thing. Well, you may know where this is going, but I did not really know when New Orleans began. I'd never been there. It just so happened that I came over a hill, and I think I entered like a four- or five-lane one-way interstate, rush hour traffic, cars all around, and I'm concerned, but I just keep going. My dad happens to wake up and beholds what's going on around him, and he freaks out. He's like, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you wake me up? We're right in rush hour, New Orleans. There's all this traffic, but we couldn't do anything about it at that point. So he's kind of guiding me how to get over the lanes and cross traffic to get on the exit. My point with sharing that is, in that moment, I was tested informally, but that proved to me and taught me trial by fire how to drive in rush hour traffic New Orleans at the age of 14. Had I never been through that, what if I had said, oh, I'm a really good driver. I can get through rush hour traffic in a big city, but I've never done it. Well, I had to in that moment. It was proven. So God sometimes also will give us tests. God's tests are meant to show us where we're at in our faith with him, in our walk with him. The tests are meant to show us how strong is our faith, really. Because we could say, remember Jesus said, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. You could say all you want as a Christian, I have faith to move a mountain. But if your faith is never tested, you actually don't know that. It's just you saying it. You hope you have that kind of faith. But if you've never been forced to use it and exercise it, you don't really know. God gives tests to show where we're at to grow us. This morning, we're going to look at Abraham once again in Hebrews, and he's given a test, not just any test. It's an insane test, a crazy test in Hebrews chapter 11 here. 
Abraham is mentioned what he did through this test. Now, the story goes, just to tell you the answer, he passed the test. And he's going to share with us in another section here, by faith. So here's another instance of by faith, someone did something. Well, by faith, Abraham passed the test that God gave him. What was the test? To trust that God will provide. That was really the bottom line it. To trust that God will provide for him what he needed. And Abraham passed the test. And that's the title of my message this morning is Real Faith, Trust God Will Provide. And I want you to see that when we walk through Abraham's story here. What it did is Abraham didn't just say, yes, God, I know you'll provide all things. Abraham was put in a real life scenario, tested by God and forced to see if his faith was real, if he really would trust God to provide. And what it did is it led to Abraham radically obeying what God asked him to do. So if you would please stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. I just want to read 17 through 19. And it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Let me offer a prayer. Lord, thank you for this country that if we're honest, it is very sick, it is very diseased, and we are morally bankrupt in so many areas of our society. However, God, we are grateful at the same time that this system we have of democracy still, in a way, provides for religious freedom, for us to publicly and openly proclaim your name and to worship you. So we are grateful for that, that independence that our ancestors, our forefathers fought for to declare. They, that even, even an atheist could have the right to be an atheist and a Christian the right to be a Christian and so forth. So God, thank you we have a system that lets us openly practice our faith. And I now ask that you focus our thoughts and our mind to see what you want us to learn from the great faith Abraham exercised with this test you put before him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, please be seated. So again, I want to talk to you about and let, let you see real faith, trust God will provide. Look at verse 17, and here's the introductory thought he gives us. By faith, Abraham, and he did something here. What did he do? When he was tested. So God put something in front of Abraham. And again, I'll show that to you in a little bit. This is all God. God put it before Abraham, gave him a test. And what was the test? By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. That's the test. The point he wants us to see is Abraham exercised his faith, passed the test when he did something, and it was offered up Isaac, his son. The word offered literally means what it says, like an animal sacrifice. Not offered like, Lord, here's my son for your service. No, physically offered like an animal sacrifice to be slain. That was the test. It's a crazy test. Genesis 22 is where you'll find it, and I want to read some selected passages of that for you. Some of them will be on your screen. But I want to take you to the actual story and see it in its own words. In Genesis 22, it begins, God is going to put this test before Abraham. Now, many commentators believe that Isaac, when I read you some of this story, Isaac's not a child. 
Isaac is probably an older teenager to possibly in his early 20s. He's a capable man himself. So I want to just point out, in my opinion, I think the test was also a little bit for Isaac. He goes through with it to a point as well. But nonetheless, the focus is on Abraham this morning. So let's see what God did. In Genesis 22, verse 1, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham. So here's the test. He said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. Notice in verse 2 what God wants him to do. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah. And notice the craziness here. Offer him there as a burnt offering, like an animal sacrifice on one of the mountains that I will tell you. So, again, I stress this is an insane test. But who, Because think about who Isaac was. Look at verse 2 again, and it's like God sticks a dagger into Abraham's emotions about his son, and he drives it deeper. Because he doesn't just say, take your son. He says, take your son, your only son, and then adds, whom you love. Now, 11.17, back in Hebrews, that's why he says the same phrase. Abraham was tested. He offered up his only son. Now, the thing is, if you know Abraham's story, Isaac was not literally his only child. He had had a child before with another woman, Hagar. He had Ishmael. So what is God getting at here? Who was Isaac? Why is he so important? He's called the only son because Isaac is the only son of Abraham that God said would carry on the promise that God made to Abraham. The promise was that he would have as many descendants as the stars in heaven and the sands of the sea. And through Abraham's family tree, God would send the Messiah, the one to come, to bless all families of the earth. So Isaac is the chosen one to carry on that torch, pick it up when Abraham passes, and he will carry it to the next generation. And yet God has just said, that son, go kill him. That's crazy. What's interesting is in Hebrews eleven seventeen when he says only son, that word in Greek is the same word used in John three sixteen about Jesus. God gave his only son. That word means unique, one of a kind. It means that that son is in a category of his own. Yes, he had a half brother, but Ishmael was not in the same category as Isaac. He was in a league of his own because he's the only one given the promise. The point is, Isaac is it. He's, there's no backup son to carry on the promise. Yet the irony is God commanded Abraham to kill the very person that God himself promised would carry on all the promises God made to Abraham. The point in Hebrews eleven seventeen, he said there, the one who had received the promises was in the very act of sacrificing his only son. He's trying to get us to see the irony of the story. God made promises to Abraham to carry on to Isaac, and yet at a point then God says to Abraham, kill the very one that I promised you would carry on the promises. How does that make any sense? You want me to kill that? My son? I mean, it's bad enough he said kill your son, but then it's extra bad when it's, but God, how, how does that work? Because you made a promise to me and him. If he's dead, he can't carry on the promise. He's dead. But that's the, the test. Hebrews eleven eighteen. he strives the point further with quoting what God told Abraham. It said, through Isaac, Abraham's descendants will come. Not any other son through Isaac. Isaac is the key. He's the one to pick up where Abraham will leave off. 
Now, here's the point. God put Abraham in an impossible situation. But I want to stress to you something. God put him there. Abraham didn't fall into this. He didn't stumble upon this situation. God intentionally put Abraham in an impossible situation. The question is, and we'll answer it throughout the message, but why would he do such a thing? That seems crazy. I mean, you wouldn't do that to your kid, would you? God did to one of his. Why would he do that, though? More on that in a moment. Well, let's look at how the test worked out. Genesis 22, verse 3 God told him what to do, and look what Abraham did in verse 3. He rose early in the morning. That's emphasizing he didn't waste any time. He set out to obey this immediately. He didn't debate with God. He didn't say, God, did I hear you right? This, God, let's talk about this for a little bit. Surely you, you didn't mean Isaac, or surely you don't literally mean, like, is this a figurative thing? He just sets out to do it immediately. He rose early, saddled the donkey, took two young men with him, his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God had told him. So it's a three days journey. It says on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from a distance. So he's making all provisions to obey God's test for him, obey the charge he's given him. But I want you to see in Genesis 22 verse 5, Abraham is already expressing faith. Because in verse 5, it says, Abraham said to the two young men that accompanied them, stay here with the donkey. Now notice this, I and the boy, that's Isaac. We will go over there on that mountain and worship. But then the last phrase, we will return. He said, we. He knew that something was going to happen. He didn't understand how or what, but Abraham had such faith he could tell his assistants Hang out here for a little bit. Me and I are going to go worship. And both of us, that's we, we will both come back. But the test is God said, go kill him. Yet Abraham can express faith and say, but we'll be back. Somehow, some way, we both will return. But he goes with Isaac, lays the wood on him, and they travel along to the place. They start making preparations for the animal sacrifice. And even Isaac starts getting tipped off. He asked his dad, Abraham, he says, look, we've got the wood. We've got the thing to start the fire. You've got the rope and the knife to cut up a sacrifice. But we're missing one key ingredient, the actual sacrifice. But look at verse 8. Abraham's answer to him is, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Again, he's expressing faith. He told the assistants, we'll both return. And now he tells his son, God will take care of that. He will provide the sacrifice that we need. Well, then he sets up the provisions and the story goes, he binds Isaac and lays him there. So now Isaac sees, so I'm it. I'm the sacrifice. And it says that Abraham lifted the knife to kill his son. He wasn't faking. He's going to obey what God told him. But as he raises the knife before he strikes it down to kill his own son, the story goes that the angel of the Lord cried out from heaven and told Abraham to stop. He said, stop, don't hurt the boy, don't touch the boy. So Isaac is spared. It says that Abraham looked and he saw a ram caught in a brush, a thicket. And he took that ram and swapped places with Isaac. Isaac was unbound and let go. The ram was sacrificed in place of Isaac. And God said this in verse 12, 
He said, uh, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So he, he acknowledged to Abraham, you've passed. You passed because you were willing to give up your only son if need be. If that's what God asked you to do, you wouldn't even withhold your promised child back from God if it, if it meant obeying him to give him up. So. Look at verse 15 through 19. Let me read the highlights. God spoke further. He called to Abraham a second time and said, by myself, I have sworn to declares the Lord because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. He reconfirms the promises made so long ago. He says, I will surely bless you and multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sands of the sea. Your offspring shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And he says, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham passed. He had faith. He obeyed to the point of acknowledging a crazy command to kill his own son, the promised son that God said would carry on his family tree, but he was willing to do it out of obedience to God. Why? Because he had such faith as he told his son, God will provide somehow, some way. He will take care of it. In verse 14, Abraham named that mountain place. He called it, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, meaning the day when this was written, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. Now, again, this is the question, why, why would God do this? This is kind of insane. Why this test? Why in the world would God ask Abraham to do such a thing? Because as we read later on in the Bible, in the law of Exodus and Leviticus Numbers, God outright says to Israel, you shall never offer up a human sacrifice. God said that is an abomination. So yeah, why is he asking for a human sacrifice here? Well, you have to see the intention behind what God was doing. He never intended for Isaac to be sacrificed. That wasn't the point. The point was this was not something God needed. This was something he was trying to show Abraham. The test was for Abraham's sake, not God. Now, I read to you that God said to Abraham, now I know, but he already knew. God knows all things. He knows the future. He already knew that Abraham would pass. Well, so why did he do this? Again, the test was for Abraham. It was for Abraham to put his faith into practice in an impossible situation. And now he sees where he's at in his walk with the Lord. He sees that those faith muscles are strong enough to even be willing to give up his one and only unique son, if need be, for the sake of God. Because he knew somehow, some way, God would work it out. James 1.13 says that when we are tempted, we should never say that God is tempting us to sin. I throw that in there to say this. We are often tested, but Satan tests us to tempt us to sin. God may test you not for you to sin, but to grow you like Abraham. God proved that he is the providing God Abraham and Isaac needed. That's why Abraham could name the place in the mountain of the Lord. It will be provided. God showed Abraham through this test that Abraham's faith was where it needed to be. He believed, Abraham believed, that God would work out this impossible situation in only a way that God could. He just had that much faith that it would work out some way. So then that begs this question, how could Abraham do that? What was it about his faith that let him be able to pass this kind of a test? How could he actually commit to being willing to sacrifice his son? 
It's, it's his son for crying out loud. Well, how could he commit to sacrificing not just his son, but the chosen one that God himself promised would carry on the promises to Abraham? Well, God commanded him to. But, but Abraham still could have argued. He could have said, God, you're crazy. You've lost your mind. No way am I doing that. But he didn't. He could have been like Jonah. Remember when Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, what did he do? He went the opposite direction. He tried to run away. Abraham could have loaded up Isaac and said, we're going the opposite way of that mountain. He didn't do that. He rose early, made provisions, and he set out in obedience. Still, though, how could Abraham, I'm talking at a human level, practically, practically speaking, how could he get there? How could he mentally get to this place where he's willing to go through with this? His faith. That's why Hebrews has him mentioned here. He says, by faith, Abraham passed the test, was willing to offer up his own son. This is the key. I want you to look back at Hebrews eleven nineteen, and he kind of gives us the key of how Abraham could do this. He says, he, that's Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him, him as Isaac, from the dead. That's how Abraham could pass. The key is Abraham had such faith that even if he went through with it and killed Isaac, he knew Isaac would not stay dead. That's verse 19 says he just considered the possibility that God has such power to raise his son from the dead. So I want us to see a couple of things from that story. The first one is this real faith trusts God will provide. So how, how could remember ask this question? How could Abraham do this? How could he go through with it? Because of this first thing, he had such faith where he trusted that God was going to provide. But there's two ways he trusted God would provide. The first one was that his faith trusted God would provide for his promises. So faith trusts God will provide for his promises. Here's my point with this. Abraham knew that the test, the command God had given him, it was crazy. In fact, we would call it impossible. But, but, Abraham trusted that God would work it out somehow, some way. He knew God could even bring Isaac back from the dead. But how could he believe that, though? Here's how. Because God made a promise to Abraham years, years ago in his life that he would have as many descendants as the stars in the sky and the sands of the sea. He had that promise. God had retold it to him over and over and over. So now he hears God go kill your son of the promise, and Abraham says to himself, God is faithful. He's not a liar. He can't lie. He can't go back on his word. So Abraham logically concluded, if God has promised Isaac will carry on the promise, even if he's dead, somehow God must bring him back in order for God to keep his own word. God's not going to fail his own promises. Hebrews 6.13 says God cannot lie. Titus 1.2 also Paul says God who cannot lie. The Bible repeats that over and over. God is not a liar. He's He's not even capable of lying. Abraham knew this in some capacity. He knew that God could not fail to keep his promises he made to him. So he then knew, I don't know how it's going to work, but Isaac can't stay dead even if he's dead. Or else God's a liar and that's impossible. So again, we likewise must trust God will do what he said he will do. By faith, we, now you and I, by faith, we trust God even if it doesn't make sense to us. We obey God's word, the Bible, for example, 
even if you can't see how it's going to work out for you. You could be reading something and and you see that God has a command of something you should be doing in your life, in your marriage, with your kids, at work, whatever it is. But you're in a situation where you say to yourself, that's not possible right now. It's impossible for that to work in my life. But Abraham's story teaches us, no, if God said something to you through his word, if he promised you something, our job is to simply trust he's going to work it out. Our job is to just be obedient and let God work all that out behind the scenes. That's what Abraham did. He trusted that God would provide for his own promises that he made. God's promised you eternal life through Jesus Christ. He's promised to forgive you no matter what your sins are. If you'll only confess them and repent, he'll cleanse you, he'll forgive you. But someone could say, but no, I've done this or that. And God says that, no, trust that promise. You can be forgiven no matter what. God says, if you'll structure your marriage and your family like this, you'll have a holistic, holy family for the Lord. And you say, no, you don't understand it. I've got this going on with my wife or my husband or my kids. And God says, no, just trust me. Just do what I told you to do and let me work it out behind the scenes. Trust that God will provide for the things he's promised you. Abraham did. The second thing Abraham trusted, he had faith that trusted God will provide for his people. So faith trusts that God will provide for his promises, but faith also trusts God will provide for his people. Abraham knew God would provide a sacrifice for Isaac. Remember, he told Isaac, God will provide the lamb. He'll take care of that business. We just obey him to the point he's told us to obey. Abraham was a man of faith. In our day, were Abraham alive today, we would have called him a Christian by faith in Jesus Christ. He was the Old Testament version of someone who was saved by faith. He had faith in God's promise of things to come through the Christ, the Messiah. Now, what, I'm stressing that because that made Abraham one of God's people. A person of faith made him a part of God's family. And God promises to always provide for his people. Who are his people? People of faith in Jesus Christ. People who are born again, redeemed, cleansed from their sins, made holy. God promises he'll always provide for us if you're one of his people. Now, here's the catch. He may not always provide in a way that you and I prefer or to the level that we prefer. There's a story where Jesus said to his disciples, don't stress about the things of life, what you'll eat, what you'll wear, those things, the necessities, don't worry about that stuff. But those are big deals, Jesus. And he said, yeah, God will provide what you need. He didn't say always what you want, but what you need. And that's what Abraham caught a glimpse of. He said, we're his people. God will never fail his people. He will always provide for his people. God always does this. God promises he'll always provide, but we may not fully understand how. We may not always think it's enough, but he always promises it will be. Our job is to be like Abraham, though, and obey fully and without hesitation. And here's the key. Even if you and I don't understand how it will work out for us, our job is to just be obedient. Like Abraham, he said, I don't, I don't get it, I don't understand, but God said it, I'm going to do it. How? Because God's not a liar, he'll provide for his own promises, and we're his people, and he'll provide for his people. He'll do something to make this work, so we're just going to do what he said. Our faith should be the same. To lead us to just trust and radically obey whatever God's putting on your heart to do. Dr. Charles Stanley, many of you may know him, he recently passed away. He had a message with a title, and I thought it fit perfectly with what I'm trying to share with you this morning. 
he once preached a message uh, titled, Obey God and Leave the Consequences to Him. And it was about a 30-minute message. You can find it on YouTube. I would challenge you to do so. And he just shares these stories of his 50-plus years of being a pastor, of how so many challenges and people came against him about how he thought he's going to get fired at times from, from his church, and he knew the right thing to do, and people were asking him to do the wrong thing, and he said, he finally came to this conviction, God, you'll take care of it. I'm just going to do what I know is right. And he's, he pointed to faithfulness over and over of his years of pastoring, how God's always gone before him and worked it out. All Dr. Stanley said he had to do was just be faithful and obey. That's the point here. Obey God like Abraham did. Even when you and I don't understand how is this going to work, it seems impossible. Just obey and let God take care of the consequences. Let him work it out. Because he promises he will. There's an old hymn I grew up in church singing, you may know it, called Trust and Obey. I love that title. It's, it's simple, and that's the point. Just trust God and obey God. That's it. God doesn't call us to try to figure it out, how it's going to work, how do we connect the dots. God doesn't call us to try and work things out on our own behalf. God says, nope, you just need to trust and obey. God takes care of the rest. Abraham was told something honestly crazy and insane. Go sacrifice your promised son whom you love. He set out to obey. Why? Because he trusted God would provide in his own way. The question is, how can we get to this point like Abraham was? How, how could I, how could you get to a point where we have so much faith, we have this kind of trust that Abraham had in God? How can we trust like Abraham? It's when you truly believe that God cannot, and I emphasize cannot, not that he will not, Will not means you have an ability, but you choose not to. Cannot means you don't have an ability. God cannot fail. He doesn't have the ability to fail to keep his promises that he's made to you. He doesn't have the ability to fail his people. Abraham knew that. So he just set out with obedience because he had that kind of trust. If that's true about us, then our faith in God's promises and provision should lead us to radically obey anything God asks you to do, even if it was as crazy as go sacrifice your promised child. Now, we hear that and think, I would never do that. That may be the reason we're probably not going to be tested in that way. God knew Abraham needed to go through this test, but he also knew Abraham was at that level. That's another thing to see. God will not put you through something that he already knows you're, you're going to fail. He won't do that. I don't believe. I believe scripture teaches that principle too. There's a passage where he says, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you're capable to endure and overcome. I'm interpreting that for the testing part too. God will not put something in front of you as impossible as, as it seems unless he knows you're at the level to walk through that darkness with him. Abraham was there. He was ready for the test. He got the test and he passed the test because he depended and truly relied on God. But our job is to trust and obey, even if it means radically obeying, just like Abraham did. What does this mean practically, though? Well, it means that when you read the Bible, you read Scripture, you obey it no matter what it says. By faith, you trust that what you read in the Bible, God will not fail to keep the promises he's given you from Scripture. If, if you read a promise and you believe it, you hold it dear in your heart, and you're put in a situation where you're faced with a choice. Do I obey or do I disobey? What do I do here? And then that scripture comes to your mind, but I remember God promised this thing here that he would provide and take care. If only I'll obey. 
If only I'll trust him. Then you actually do it. Like Abraham, you put it into action. You trust and obey. Because you believe like Abraham, God will not fail to keep what he's actually put in his word. He won't fail. By faith, you trust that God will not fail to provide for his people. And if you're one of his people, then you have that promise too. And what is the conclusion? Then, then that leads to you radically obeying whatever God puts in front of you, no matter what, like Abraham. This may also mean, though, that in your personal life, your daily life, you may sense something in your heart that God is calling you to do. And I don't mean to be a pastor or a missionary. I just mean in your practical life, maybe you've sensed God calling you to do something with that relative, that friend. Share something with them that you know they need to hear, but you're nervous, you're intimidated. You don't see how you can really do that because it's not going to work. Abraham's story here would say, no, 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 your job is to just trust. Do what you feel called to do and let God work it out, even if you don't see how it's going to work. Maybe God is calling you to step out there on faith and go do something for him that you thought, that's crazy, I could never do that. But in your heart, you, you can't get past this gnawing feeling that God wants you to do something for him. Maybe in this church, in your own life, outside of the church, whatever it is, you, you feel that. You know you should, but you haven't. Maybe you're held back by just fear, intimidation. Maybe it's you're just not sure how it'll work out if you go do that. I can tell you, I know that all too well, I was a bivocational associate pastor for 10, 11 years, and I've had times where I said I'll never be a full-time pastor. I could never do that. I'd say those things. And I was very comfortable where I was back in Arkansas, and I would had my good job outside of the church. I had my youth group. Everything fit. And I'd always say that. People would ask, are you, you going to be a pastor? Nope, never. Why not? That's not me. But inside my head, if I'm honest, it was more things like, because I don't see how that would work. I don't see how I could truly let my family's income come from a church. I just don't see how that would work. And I had immense respect for my pastors over me who were full-time, but I always thought, but that's not me. But then there comes a point where you cannot escape what you feel God is pushing you to do, and you've got to do it. That's where Abraham was. He said, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm going to do it, and God will work it out. You have something probably you could think of like that where you know God's pushing you to do something, but you've held back. The challenge and the charge from this passage would be, but, but don't, trust and obey. Like Dr. Stanley said, let, let God deal with the consequences, not you. He'll go before you. He will work that out. God, there's a phrase, if God has called you to it, he will see you through it. I don't know who said it, but I've heard it many times. I think it's true. If God's called you to something, he'll see you through that something. God isn't looking for your abilities. He's just looking for your obedience, your willingness. That's all he looked for Abraham. He wasn't looking for Abraham to write an essay to his son about how this can all work out. No, he just wanted Abraham to go do it. And Abraham said, oh, God, God will do something with this. We may need to go through a time of testing in our lives. I want to be honest with you. If, if you set out to do like Abraham and have this kind of faith, where you radically obey God no matter what, that if you say, I want the kind of faith where I just trust God no matter what, I rely on God no matter what, I trust God will always provide for my needs and he'll work out whatever impossible situation I'm in, I do want to challenge you to realize you will probably go through a time of testing. Now, I don't mean to suggest God's going to command you to sacrifice a family member. You may have some you wouldn't mind, but that's besides the point. I don't think he will, though. 
But here's, here's why I think you'll go through a time of testing. I like to work out. I lift weights. And I've used this illustration all the time. You'll probably hear me use it again throughout the years here. But it works in my mind, so let me share it with you. Muscles grow in your body only really through you overloading them. When you put more weight than they can actually handle, you put more stress on them. What that does is it actually puts small trauma on your muscles. And this sounds bad, but it's actually good. You put on your body physically just a little bit more. You don't crush yourself, but you put a little bit more than you're able to bear. And what happens is those muscles heal back. But guess what? They heal back tighter and stronger than they were before. But it took the stress, it took the overloading on them to stimulate the growth. Maybe you, you say, oh, my goal is to lift 200 pounds. Well, you can only lift 100. Well, you're going to have to push it and do 110. The next time you go, you push it and you do 120. And you see how it goes. You, you keep building yourself up. But if you never push yourself, those muscles beyond what you think they're capable of, they'll never grow. I think that is how it works with what God does with us in our faith. Why does he test us? Why did he test Abraham? That he, he may put you in a situation where the pressure's on. There's that weight pushing down on you spiritually, and you're thinking this is impossible. But it's not really. You have to go through that to stimulate the growth. Abraham went through that. God put the pressure on. He endured it, and he passed, and he came out better on the other side. He does the same with us. God won't put you through a test because he hates you. He'll put you through a test because he wants to grow you. That's why he does it. So don't pray that, God, I want to grow in my faith, but please don't ever test me. That's not how it works. Pray, God, I want to grow in my faith, and when you do test me, pray that I'll stay close to you. Pray that I'll have the faith to trust you to get through it because you were there for guys like Abraham. James says in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, I'll paraphrase it. If you read that opening section of James, he says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. That sounds very hypocritical. Count it joy when you go through a trial, but he tells you why. He says, because the testing of your faith produces something in you. Endurance, strength, patience, long-suffering. So James is saying, if you never go through a testing of your faith, you'll never grow. You'll stay flat. So count it joy when you go through it. Our passage in Hebrews eleven nineteen ends with a phrase. If you'll look there with me, he says, he considered God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. As Isaac was not literally killed, but he says, figuratively speaking, it's as if he was delivered from death and, and raised again from the dead and given back to Abraham. Isaac's sparing became a, a type of foreshadowing of the resurrection from the dead for those who are, have faith in God. That phrase in my ESV, figuratively speaking, it's literally the word used for a parable. You know, Jesus spoke in parables. It's the same word. That word means to give an analogy of sorts, to share a truth, but you share the truth through figurative language. It's, it's like telling a story, giving an illustration, so you can understand something. So what some believe here that Hebrews is saying is, Isaac became a type of foreshadowing for the rest of time, for people to look at that story and see God can raise the dead back to life. And those who have faith in him, even though they die here, they will raise again to new life. Isaac became a type of parable in that regard. How did this happen? Because 
Remember, God provided a substitute ram. And that ram swapped places with Isaac. Isaac was laying there to be sacrificed, ram, but then they exchanged spots. Isaac is delivered and the ram took Isaac's place. And here's the thing. Did not God do the same with Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is God's provision for his people. Remember John 3.16? I told you that same word in Hebrews 11.17. Isaac was his only son. It's the same word in John 3.16. God sent his what? Only son. Unique, one of a kind, special, no other like him son, Jesus, the son of God. However, the story with him goes, he came, he was to be sacrificed. God said, I'll send my son, my only son, whom I love, and I'll sacrifice him so others can be saved. But this time, when God's only son got on the cross to be sacrificed, there was no one there in heaven to say to God, stop, stop, don't harm your son. No one there. God had to go through with it. Jesus knew that. No one showed up to spare Jesus. There was no one capable to swap places with Jesus like there was with Isaac. No sacrifice to be found caught in a thicket. Why? Because Jesus was the sacrifice. That's why he came. In the story I read to you in Genesis 22, Abraham said, In the mountain of God it will be provided. What's interesting about him saying that is that mountain range, many Bible scholars believe, on that mountain range, centuries later, is where the temple of Jerusalem was built. The hill of Calvary was there. So they make this connection, and it's probably a valid connection to point out that Abraham says, on this mountain range, God will always provide what is needed. He'll provide the sacrifice. He'll provide the ram. And centuries later, on the hill of those crosses there, in the same mountain range, God provided. He made true on that. But he provided his own son as the sacrifice. Well, how did Abraham be able to do that, though? By faith. Abraham had faith that God could raise the dead back to life if need be, so he radically obeyed a crazy command from God. The heart of it, though, is Abraham had faith God would provide, no matter what. He trusted God would provide. A person has to have that kind of faith, faith in God's provided sacrifice for their sin, and it's Jesus Christ. God's Son, His only Son, whom He loved and whom He did not spare for you and I, that is God's provision for people. So I ask this morning, do you have faith in God's provision? That's Jesus Christ. Do you have faith that I should have been on that cross, the one sacrificed for my own sins, but he came and we swapped places. His righteousness and innocence and perfection is given to me, not because I am righteous, but God just gives it to me by grace. And he took my sins and your sins and gave them to Jesus, even though he didn't deserve them. He bore our sins, it says. And we get clothed in his righteousness. But a person has to have faith in that or they're not forgiven. They're, they don't have that righteousness. That's where it starts. If you do believe in Jesus, you know he has provided covering for you, salvation for your sins. And the question would be then as a Christian, do you have faith like Abraham? A faith that trusts God will provide no matter what. And it leads you to radically obey God no matter what. You just do it. Are you trusting in God to provide for his own promises? Are you trusting for God to provide for his own people? I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I'll have Bruce and his people come. And I ask that you reflect as I pray. And ask, first of all, I just want you to make sure you're saved, that you have God's provision. But secondly, 
Are you growing in your faith like Abraham? Are you looking for a test or you try to run away from him? But do you look for them and say, God, grow my faith because I trust you so much. I know you'll work it out. What is it God may be calling you to do, pressing in your personal life to do, but you've held back? Then maybe today square that with God. Say, Lord Jesus, I, I'm just, give me the courage to the Holy Spirit to just do it and you'll work it out behind the scenes. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you for this message, how it's worked on me personally, studying it. Lord, you've revealed things in my own life that I have deficiencies in my faith, weaknesses in areas that where you asked me to give up, it would be very hard. So I pray that in the way it's helped me that you would help everyone here to, to realize that as children of yours, we can't just say we have faith. We need to go through the test and we need to trust that we will do whatever you call us to do and you'll work all of it out behind the scenes. May we leave the consequences to you. If anyone is here and they don't understand how they can have the provision of Christ to save them, would they, come, would they have the courage to step out and come ask? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.